Uh, we're going to start a new series, just a four-week series uh, today for this month of January, launching the new year. And we're just calling this Fully Alive. Fully Alive. So as we start uh, this new series, Fully Alive today, part one is called For All to See. And we're, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter two. I've got the page number there on the screen. If you're in that red church Bible, you're going to be in Ephesians chapter two. Well, there's been a lot of buzz around culture about deaths, deaths of celebrities in particular in 2016. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what it is about celebrities that somehow when they die, we're kind of more shocked than the us, us ordinary types, but, um, but it was, you know, often they happen kind of early. You think of the, the, the singer Prince or you think of, of Carrie Fisher of, of Star Wars fame or, and then her mother a day later passing away. I mean, these things just have been like dominating the news and dominating social media. And, and um, wow, somehow we all know that we're going to die. And yet we're somehow all surprised when it happens. I'm not sure... Um, why that's that way. See, we can't control how we die or when we die, but we can, we have a say in how we live. We have a say in how we live. I'm sure you've heard the saying, all men die, but not all men truly live. Or not all people die, but all people die, but not all people truly live. And it's perhaps a cliche, but I think there's some really true, some real truth to that, that we all die, but not all of us really Live and I've been asking myself my my sort of guiding question uh, these last few weeks has been what am I going to do in 27 to live fully alive? I want to live fully alive, and so that's kind of what I've been pondering. And uh, as, as you know, as we've kind of ended the, the last year and started the, the next year, and you know, I would encourage that kind of question too, even for a church, because it's true in the church as well as Bethany Church. I don't know if you knew this, but Bethany Church. Uh, is entering our 75th anniversary year. This month, this church is 75 years old. And it's easy for us to think, oh, we're old. We're really old. I, I remember when I was a kid, I think I was probably 12, if I did my math right, maybe 11. And uh, I remember my dad saying, my dad, my, I, I only, um, three of my grandparents passed away before I was old enough to remember them, but I, my, my, my dad's mom was alive. And I remember my dad saying, well, boys, to me and my brothers, uh, well, boys, uh, grandma is 75. She's very old. <laughs> and of course, when you're 12, that is very old. Um, my dad's turning 87 next month, so <laughs> I don't know what all that means. But, you know, it's easy to think, oh, we're really old. And when you think old, then you act old, right? When you think old, you act old. Having years under your belt does not mean you need to be out of touch and barely alive, right? Whether as a church or as a person. We love those stories of people older than us doing, you know, crazy things that we wouldn't do, uh, you know, skydiving and stuff. John Glenn, who passed away this year in his 90s, he went to space in 1998 at the age of 77. That's pretty wild um, thought. Last April, I got my mom on a zip line to celebrate her 83rd birthday. She's 83 and on the zip line. Of course, she has told everybody and, uh, and loves uh, telling the story of, you know, how she got on that zip line. Well, good honor, right? Um, now, in the church, even as we age in the church, we're called to be constantly renewed. We don't just get older. We're constantly, constantly renewed by making disciples. That's what Jesus told us to do. A disciple is a new follower of Jesus. So right now, 
this year, January 1st, 2017, we have a wonderful opportunity to examine ourselves as individuals and as a church and ask this question, what will we do to be a church fully alive for 2017? Right? See, when Bethany Church launched in Fresno in 1942, the message of the gospel was fairly commonly known and the Bible was generally accepted as true and authoritative in society. That's just how it was uh, 75 years ago in America. And most churches started as something of a, of a colony. For example, if you had German Baptists over here, you'd start a German Baptist church. And if you had Armenians over here, you'd start an Armenian church. And if you had Mennonite brethren here, you'd start a Mennonite brethren church. This is kind of how it was. And people would find a church based on kind of where they felt the most affinity. And sometimes if they really liked that church over there, they would join that church. But everybody knew they were the oddball and they stuck out and they had the wrong last name. And But we'll, we're glad they're here, right? Isn't that how it was back in the day? Right. Well, that's changed. That's really changed. Things are very different today. Generally, first of all, generally speaking, no one's looking for a church. Your coworkers, your neighbors, uh, the, the people you, you, you see on a day to day basis when you walk around your, your neighborhood, they're not looking for a church. But everyone, everyone is still looking for hope. For acceptance. For freedom. For rest, right? The very things that can only be properly fulfilled in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus says his followers are the church. And so we gather in these local bodies, these local places, whether it's the well or whether it's People's Church or whether it's River Valley Church or whether it's North Park Church or whether it's Woodward Park Church, or whether it's Bethany Church. We gather in these places where we say we're going to follow Jesus together. Now, over the past I don't know, let's say 30 years or so, churches have really started to realize that, saying, well, hey, wait a second, no one's kind of walking in, uh, you know, through these doors uh, unless they have a good reason to do so. I recently read that someone said, you know, for a, for a person who doesn't normally go to church, to go into a church feels like they're crashing a wedding. Now, that's probably a fairly good kind of comparison, right? And so having a church building, having a facility, having some land uh, is a great tool for ministry but to simply put a, a building up and uh, put up a sign really does very little to fulfill Jesus' command to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all the things that Jesus taught us. It's, that's the command that we call the Great Commission. Jesus sending us out to do exactly that. Jesus did not say, hey, stay inside and make disciples. He said, go Make disciples. That means you've got to get up and go to make disciples. Now, the only way we make the good news, the message of Jesus, this thing we talked about at communion this morning, the only way we make that accessible to people is by going, right? Getting in motion. And I've said it this way in the past, that our job is to bring Jesus to people and to bring people to Jesus. Either way, on the gathering place, this place we call the church, is a great tool to help us do that. The church is not a building. You are the church. But we gather in a building and so we call it a church building. Right? But it's a great tool only if you and I do the inviting and the bringing. Now the church is possibly the only institution that exists for the benefit of those who are not yet a part of it. Let me say that again. The church is the only institution that exists... For the benefit, and I don't say exclusively, but exists for the benefit of those who are not yet a part of it. 
We're to care for the lowest of society. We're to help proclaim, uh, you know, the gospel to the spiritually lost. Even as we love each other, we encourage each other, we bless one another, we teach one another, we help and support one another. So as we enter this 75th anniversary year, my question again is this. How are we going to be an alive and life-giving church for the next Five years, 25 years, 75 years in this part of our city. So as we ponder all of that, I invite you now to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, where we read uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the believers in Ephesus. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, and let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Paul writes this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But... God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Verse six, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. And verse 8 says, For God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for, uh, for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Amen. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. I'm going to ask three questions from this passage today in the the time we have left. I'm going to ask three questions. I'm going to ask, are you dead or alive? I'm going to ask, do others know if you're dead or alive? I'm going to ask, what would the fully alive life look like for you and for our church? So, first question. Are you dead or alive? Right in verse one, the apostle writes, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now, the immediate rebuttal to this is pretty easy. You think, oh, wait, Brian, this does not apply to me because I don't feel dead and I never really sinned that much. So I think I'm okay. Right now, it may be true that you didn't really sin very much and that you feel alive, but a more word-for-word translation, again, New Living Translation works very hard to make it very readable and capture kind of phrase-by-phrase uh, phrase or concept-by-concept. Concept. Uh, it's a good, faithful translation in that way. But a more word-for-word word way to translate, so, translate this would be to say, and you all being dead in the trespasses and sins of yours. It, Paul said it this way. Elsewhere, when he wrote to the Romans, he said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. It's you, that's me. There's no getting around this. We're not like pretty well, like close to perfect. If you're 99% perfect, you're not perfect. 
See, the physical life, well, our English language betrays us sometimes. Let me explain it this way, because we say things like, well, I feel half, after a long day, oh, I feel half dead. Well, or, you know, or as Miracle Max says in The, the Princess Bride, right? Mostly dead, but slightly alive, right? Uh, I think that's Billy Crystal doing that. But look, friends, we're either dead or we're alive. If there's a pulse, there's life. There's no such thing as mostly dead. Right? The physical life and the spiritual life are kind of opposite in this. Right? In, in that physically, you're born and you start out alive and you end up dead. But in the spiritual life, we all start out dead but we have the opportunity to end up alive now and for eternity. So physical life, you start alive, you end up dead. Spiritual life, you start dead, everybody. And we have the opportunity to come alive by our faith in Christ Jesus. Paul, when he writes to these Ephesians, he's writing to believers, who people who had come out of things like witchcraft and idolatry and sexual immorality. And all, all of which can simply be summarized as rebellion against God. Doing things my way instead of God's way. Living for my flesh instead of living for God. Living for power instead of living surrendered to Him. Right? And so the good news really uh, comes out in verses 4 and 5. When, when uh, Paul writes this, he says, But God, God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. If you reject God's grace of salvation, you, you are dead. You're spiritually dead. And if you receive God's grace by trusting in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are alive now and forever. Now, not only that, but Paul says that by your faith, he goes on in verse 6, by your faith in Jesus, you've been given the position of seated in the heavenly realm with God in Christ. Now, think about that. At this moment. Look at your chair. You're on a red, reasonably comfy chair, right? You're seated on a red chair, but spiritually speaking, you're seated with God in Christ in the heavenly places. It's like there's a spot sort of reserved for you in a spiritual sense. And you're there even now. It's a great mystery of the gospel that God says, nope, I've got you here, what a place of security, what a place of assurance, what a place of encouragement, what a place of comfort, right? What a place of promise. Physically, you're here, but that's, the Bible says that's where you're seated. And this has nothing to do with how many times you've been to church, or how much you have or have not read the Bible. And by the way, I've got um, R&R reading uh, journals uh, over there and reading plans. If you want just to just kind of follow a plan for the year, I've got two different ways you could do that. That's all available on that same table with the prayer and fasting guide. Right? But that that's... All this salvation business has nothing to do with going to church. and has nothing to do with how well you've read the Bible. It has nothing to do with how well behaved you are. The choice is yours by faith in Christ. And so today I ask, are you dead or are you alive? Verse 7 raises the second question. The second question is this, that do others know if you are dead or alive? Do others know if you're dead or alive? Paul wrote, God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. That 
us, God can point to us, that us includes you and it includes me because Paul is referring to himself and to the Ephesian believers. That's the us he's talking about. So this is an ongoing us, right? You and I are on display for all to see the marvelous grace and kindness of God now and for generations to come. By the way, not only in the physical world, but also in the spiritual world. But do you know, and do others know, I should ask, if you, do others know if you're alive? Is it obvious to an outsider? Well, how would that become obvious? Verse 10 gives us a clue. Jump all the way down to verse 10 where he says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Salvation is not achieved by the works we do. We've kind of hammered that point this morning. But it's certainly demonstrated by our works. Right? We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. If we're alive, it will show in how we act and how we behave and what we do. Let me give an example. Think about a classic car in a museum. Think about your favorite car. 57 Chevy, uh, 29 um, Chevrolet, uh, you know, a Model T, um, I don't know, a, a 69 Corvair, if that's your car. I, I don't care. Whatever. You think about kind of your car and just think about a perfectly preserved and it's in a museum. You're like, oh, yeah, that's a car. That's a car. I had that car. I had that car when I was in my teens. Oh, yeah. Or or maybe it's a 67 Camaro like my buddy Stan had in Bible college. And all the girls wanted to go, Stan's taking us for ice cream. Yeah. Stan got a lot of ice cream paid for because he had a 67 Camaro, right? I mean, it's... Okay, but if that car is in a museum and you look at that... Oh, look at that car. The car is actually useless, Because it's not fulfilling its purpose, which was to transport, get people around. It might look great, right? But it's not alive in the sense it's not fulfilling its purpose. It it, it looks great, it looks perfect, but it's essentially dead. How about another example? I wonder how many of us are taking down a fake Christmas tree this afternoon, right? We put up trees that look as alive as possible, and then we just... Put them back in the box for next year, right? It's just perfect. And that's kind of the problem. Real trees are much too imperfect for us to, to use because there's always that one weird branch or, or the, the base is too thick to fit your stand or the, the top's all gnarly and you can't get the topper on there properly or that gets sap on your fingers. So it's just so much easier and so much safer to just use an artificial tree. The problem is it's not alive, it's dead. And I wonder if there's any parallels to our lives as individuals and as a church. Are we ever guilty of preserving the look of being alive Staying safe, but just go back into the box till next week. We bring it out and put it on display. And then we put it back in the box. Then we bring it back out and put it on display. And then we put it back in the box. Everything just looks great. Sometimes people have, you know, come to a church and they just say, man, I, you guys all just look so perfect. I could never be one of you. And I think, oh, if you only knew. Yeah, we, just because I put on clean laundry this morning doesn't make me perfect. Are we guilty of preserving the look of being alive but being dead on the inside? Because apart from Christ, we really are dead. 
And in him, we're both alive and life-giving. And if that's the case, then Paul says we're on display to show God's mercy. But do others know if you're dead or alive? My third question is this. What would the fully alive life look like for you and for me and for our church? What would the fully alive life look like for us? I, I definitely do not want to live my life as a fake Christmas tree looking good, but no life to it. I, I don't I don't want to be a classic car in a museum, right? Restored, looking fantastic, but not fulfilling my purpose. I want to be a fully alive and I want to be life giving. So in our in our church um, leadership council, we've been revisiting some of the statements that define for Bethany Church, our purpose and our mission, and our vision. And uh, if you know, if you allow me just to be technical for a moment, these these are somewhat elastic statements. They're still kind of in process, but I'd like to share these with you because I want you to get a sense of like, who are we and what are we about? Like, what's kind of the, the function and purpose of, of this body that we call Bethany Church? So let me run four things. First is purpose. Purpose is simply kind of a statement of why we exist. Your purpose is why you exist. So we're saying it this way. We exist to be fully alive, making Christ Jesus known from our communities to the world. I mean, when I think about the church, when I, if I think one thing about the church, I want people to say, boy, that place is alive. Wouldn't that be a great sense? Wouldn't, wouldn't you love it when people come to your family gathering and you say, man, what a lively time we had. Isn't that kind of, doesn't that capture the heart of what we want people to experience? So that's the kind of the purpose. We, we exist to be fully alive, making Christ Jesus known for our communities to the world. Then we have a mission. A mission is kind of a way of stating, well, what do we do? How, you know, what, what are we all about in terms of doing? And mission, we're saying it this way. We lead those apart from God to come fully, to come alive by finding their way into the grace and truth of Jesus Christ and follow Him together. We lead those apart from God to come alive by finding their way into the grace and truth of Jesus Christ and follow Him together. This last December, I mean, we had a bunch of you just worked really hard to present what we call the journey to Bethlehem. 3,000 people came through and experienced it. It was a terrific experience for those of you who participated and greatly appreciated by those who came through. We didn't do that just to provide Christian entertainment for the city. Our goal is to lead those apart from God to come alive. Because Paul says, you're dead. Without Christ, you're dead. You're dead in your sin. You're not alive. You have no eternal future and you have no eternal hope. So our mission is to lead those who are apart from God because they're dead to come alive. Why is that hard for us to grasp? That's what we're here to do. It's our mission. We have some objectives, our kind of targets, things that help us make decisions about what we do. Our ministry objectives are this. We pursue multiplication, unity, and maturity. Three things. And that's where we're going to those three things. We're going to talk about those over the next three weeks. Multiplication, unity, and maturity. Think about it like a tree. If you think about a, a, a tree in the ground, right? And it's often a, the tree is often a great metaphor for the church. It's got roots, it's got a trunk, and it's got branches. Right? Your, your, um, you, you know, the, the, the roots are what, are what give maturity to us. They hold us firm. They, 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 they bring nutrients into the, to the body. Unity is the, is the trunk of the tree. Strong. Uh, uh, maturity. Sorry. Cut that backwards. Maturity is those roots in the tree that, that draw life. Unity is the trunk of that tree that holds you strong together. 
on those branches, that's that reaching out, that multiplication. That provides shade to people. It's an orange tree. It provides fruit for people. You know, you know, it's a, you know, if it's a fir tree, it gets cut down and made into a Christmas tree. But, right? Multiplication, unity, maturity. Those are the things that maybe if that tree metaphor kind of helps you. And then finally, a vision. A vision is what you see. A vision is, of, is, is what could be because of what should be. And I think this is a, a good vision for us, that we see a church fully alive, international and intergenerational, glorifying God through multiplication, unity, and maturity. I love it. I love that the more color we have in here, the better. I, I'm really grateful today that today our uh, Bethany Chinese Fellowship is worshiping together with us in one service. I'm so glad that we can be all together this morning. In the service, we want to be international and intergenerational and we want to be glorifying God through multiplication, unity and maturity. So you'll hear more about those in the days to come. But I invite you to kind of be on track with that. Look, I could probably go on all day about this stuff, but let me get back to this question. What would the fully alive life look like for you, for me, for our church? I think for our church, it it would mean fulfilling the purpose of making Christ Jesus known. We'd be completing our mission of leading people to Christ. We'd be achieving our objectives of multiplication, unity, and maturity. We'd experience what could be and what should be, and that's a fully alive church that glorifies God. And when I think about fully alive, I think about words like vibrant and noisy and fun and healthy and creative and recreative and honest and repentant and, and courageous and generous and, 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 and risk-taking and optimistic and enthusiastic and joyful and reproductive, all those things, you, you get this idea that, well, you could add many words of your own of what it would mean to be fully alive. And yet, many people outside of the you know, evangelical American church would describe church with words like boring, dead, traditional, out of touch, worse. Oh, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. What would it look like for us to be a fully alive church? A church not for us, not a church of circled wagons for the faithful, not an ethnic colony to preserve a distinct heritage, but a church and a life-giving place. A colorful, generous, joyful, vibrant place. We're going to stay on this, like I said, this fully alive theme for a few weeks. Uh, as we explore who God is calling us to be for the next 75 years. And then on February 26th, we're going to gather again in one service for a great big celebration, anniversary celebration with lunch to follow. I hope you can be a part of that. Let me go back as we wrap up with to the to two of probably the most important verses in the entire Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul just summarizes so nicely. He says this. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. None of us is anywhere near perfect. We've all got flaws. We all have failures. We all have a few skeletons in the closet. Even if you think you're pretty good at something, honestly, there's someone else doing it better. Your goodness can never be good enough. 
But God's grace is enough. And it always will be. You're saved by God's grace through your faith. You cannot unsave yourself when you sin or you transgress in some way. Because God has seated you in heaven. And He's the one to do that. His grace covers your sin. There's no sin where God's going to say, Oh, I didn't think of that one. His grace is enough. Let me add this. His grace is enough for that loved one in your family that doesn't follow Christ right now, that coworker, that neighbor, that student in your class that you just want to strangle. Right? Don't do that. But right? God's grace is enough for them too. And when you've trusted in God's grace, that makes you alive. Alive. Today and forever. So we are called to live the alive life. If you've never put your faith in Jesus to make you alive, today would be a good day. January 1st, 1-1-2017. Today would be a great day to start your new life in Christ. Why not make it a fresh start? Can we stand together as we close in prayer? God, I confess it's easy to be overly optimistic at the beginning of the year and we have bright hopes and everything's going to be changed. I, I, I'm not naive, Lord. I know how human we are. I also know that You alone can make us alive. Lord, we start out dead. But by faith in You, we can come alive. And I just pray, God, that even now, even as we've, we've kind of gone through this passage today, that even now You would be sealing in each of our hearts key thoughts and decisions. But what would it take to live the alive life? To be those people who are on display for all to see Your kindness. To be those people who do those good works that You've prepared in advance for us to do. Because we've got Your your masterpiece. God, I, I just pray that You'd be just capturing all that in our hearts or even right now. As only you can do. Lord, I pray that this would be a year like no other. That instead of being like, oh, we're getting old, God, that we would say this is a year we came alive. Lord, let that be true in my life. Let that be true in our families, in our homes. And Lord, let that be true in our church. And church, while we're gathered and heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I, I can't not give the opportunity. If you've never given your life to Christ, today would be a great day to do that. Maybe you're saying, I want to yield my life to Jesus. I want to come alive by putting my faith in Christ who died for me and took all my sins. And maybe you're saying, that's me. Maybe you're saying, I, I'm, I, I did that years ago. I've been so far from God. And I want to renew that commitment. If that's you, we just raise your hand up high so I can see it. Say, yes, I'm, I want to give my life to Christ today. For the rest of us, we have work to do. We have a job to do. To make Christ Jesus known. To bring Jesus to people and bring people to Jesus. However we're going to do that in this coming year. Lord, we want to be alive and we want to be giving life to others. I pray that you help us to do that as never before. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for the privilege of gathering here today in freedom. We thank you for the 75 years of blessing over this church. We look forward to all that you have for us in the days to come. In your name we pray. Amen.